glorify the King of kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness. We will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to Him we give. Alleluia to the King of kings. Alleluia to the Lamb. Alleluia to the Eight seventy eight. We'll sing the song before our opening prayer tonight. Eight seventy eight. Sweet by and by. Sing the first and last verse of this song. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet For Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our days in the sweet. together. Father, we humbly come before you tonight, uh, thanking you for the blessings of another day. 
Father, it's been a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful day weather-wise, and it's been a beautiful day spiritual. spiritually, Father, as we've been able to come together as Your, as your church and worship You. And we pray, Father, that our worship has been acceptable in Your sight and has given You, Father, all the praise and the glory and the honor that You so richly deserve. Father, we thank You for Jesus, first and foremost. We thank You, Father, for His sacrifice for our sins, that He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we pray, Father, that You would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, Father, each and every day as we struggle to resist the temptations of um, Satan. Help us, Father, always to keep our eyes focused upon You and realize, Father, that, that that is the way You want us to live, that You want us to uh, put You in the center uh, of everything that we do. Father, we thankful, Father, for this church and each and every one, Father, that's a part of it. We're thankful for these that have come back tonight to, to hear another uh, portion of Your Word. And we pray, Father, that You would help us, Father, to listen with open hearts and that we might leave here strengthened and that we might be a brighter light tomorrow as we go into the world. Father, we thank You again for this day set aside for our veterans. We pray, Father, that You would Bless them, Father. Be with those who are serving now and who will serve in the future. We're thankful, Father, for those who've served in the past and for their sacrifice, Father. We pray, Father, for our country. We pray, Father, that that You would forgive us uh, for our transgressions, that You would forgive us for passing laws, Father, and for handing down decisions that clearly violate Your will. We just pray, Father, that You would Put us on the road to repentance, whatever that may be, Father, to, to bring us back. Pray, Father, you be with our missionaries who are taking your word out into the, to the rest of the world. We just pray, Father, that you would give them protection, that you would, that you would bless their efforts, Father, and that you would touch the hearts of those who, who hear your word, that they might be receptive to it. And we pray, Father, that there will be a day when... And, when all people will be able to hear your word without fear of persecution in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Pray, Father, that you would be with our sick, Miss Betty, and all the others, Father, who are listed, that this would be a good week for them. We just pray, Father, that you would go with us throughout this week, that you would forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing 851 tonight before the message. 851. Sing the first last verse of this song. Some glad morning when this life is o'er I'll fly away, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away in the morning when I die. Hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. 
915, if you want to mark it, 915 will be the song of encouragement. Grateful for your presence this evening. If you will, please turn in your Bibles to James uh, chapter 5. James chapter 5, and that's where we'll be studying uh, tonight as we continue our study with the book of James, which is a practical book about growing up, about being mature. Um, I'm talking about three things tonight. I want to be talking about selfishness, uh, suffering, and swearing. Okay? And uh, I'm always interested when I read outlines that people do on the scripture and how they try to put things together so you can remember them. When it comes to suffering, I'm, I mean, when it comes to selfishness, I think about uh, the comedian that said, uh, He said, if money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. And there's some of you who can agree with that. You know, money talks, all it ever says to me is goodbye. Notice what James says in James chapter 5. And I want to ask you, does this fit with us today or not? You know, it's past the scripture you read. Does this apply to us today? And if it does, how does it? Does it apply to you? Does it apply to me? Notice James 5 and verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and, and their rust will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures for the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and pleasure, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have killed the righteous man. He does not resist you. Well, who does that apply to here? Well, in a way, maybe it doesn't apply to any of us here, because we live in a very unique country. I mean, we're one of the few countries in the world that has middle class. And most of us have been able to be in the middle class. And so as a result of that, we've worked for other people and, you know, we've done, people have done okay. Your wages are pretty good if you live in the United States and you make a pretty good living. And most of the people that are in this church, I don't, you know, I don't know anybody that we have in our fellowship that's taken just undue advantage of other people. So in, in some ways, this doesn't apply to us. But it is interesting, especially in this last election, we heard a whole bunch of talk about rich people and poor people. And in James' time, that's all there was. There was no middle class. There were those who had it, and there were those who had nothing. And the ones who had it, the way they got it evidently, was by mistreating those who didn't have it. And those were on the bottom, there wasn't anything that they could do. And I I would say in all my life, I haven't known an experience like that. 
in, in my life where people were mistreated, but I know the times in our country that they were. But I, w- I do want to say this about the Bible. The Bible does not discourage the acquiring of wealth. In fact, in the law of Moses, God intended for his people to come into a land and to do well. I mean, he told them, you're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to have houses that you didn't build. You're going to have all these things, and I'm going to give them to you. But the thing that you need to be careful of is when you get these things, that you forget the one who gave you all of this, and you forget that at one time you were slaves and you were mistreated. And so as a result of that, there were certain laws that were given regarding wealth. In the Old Testament, if somebody needed to borrow money from you as a, as a, as a brother in the Jewish nation, and as, a, and as somebody who you were related to, you could not loan them money at interest. You would have to make them a loan, and they would pay it back. Kind of like those loans we make our kids. We don't charge them any interest, and they always pay it back. Amen? Anybody grinning about that? Well, there were certain laws that regulated that. And it's, it's interesting. I've had the opportunity in my life to know, in, almost in every congregation where I had, people who've done really well. And, and, and I don't know any of them who did really well because they were crooks or cheats. They just were good at what they did, or they were very capable at what they did. I've had the opportunity to be in the presence of the only family that I know in the Churches of Christ that are billionaires. You know, and you talk about an impressive family. I mean, where are they impressive? You get millions of dollars to Freed Hardeman, and million dollars to other things. And, 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 and what impressive people. I mean, what, what did his wife do? What would you do if your husband was a billionaire? I'll tell you what she did. She taught school. She taught mathematics in a private school for 30 years. Had one of the most intriguing books that I've ever read is the book uh, The Millionaire Next Door. It's, you know, they, I don't think they reprinted it, but it was written a few, uh, several years ago. And it was a fascinating book because we all live next door to millionaires. And the point is, you don't know it because they don't, they don't show it. But they have, a mil- they have over a million dollars. And, and what was fascinating about the book is that it told you that you live next door to a millionaire and, and, and what things look like for them. And, and one of the most fascinating things was two doctors. And they were talking about there were two doctors. And both of them made about a half a million dollars a year. Both of them lived in a house that cost about a half a million dollars. And one of them was worth $5 million. And the other one was worth half a million dollars. And then the question was, guess which one just bought a new Porsche? Well, it was the one who was worth half a million dollars. Why? Because if you want to have money and you plan to do good things to it, you can't wear it, you can't spend it, you've got to save it. And so the story of the millionaire next door was most people in the United States are millionaires. They did so by working hard and by saving, and you have no idea how well off they actually are. It's interesting even in this election. I had the opportunity, I don't know if you know it or not, I grew up in Michigan, Mitt Romney's father, Governor Romney, was a two-term governor when I was a boy growing up. He was chairman of American Motors, and then he became governor. When Mitt Romney came of age, he inherited millions of dollars from his father. And one of the things that you didn't hear about is this millionaire, Mitt Romney, do you know he gave everything that he got from his father away to charity? It is interesting. Why didn't we hear about that? We, we, I don't think we've ever had a man who was running for president who has given away more money than Mitt Romney did at a time when everybody in our nation was talking about rich people and poor people. 
And by the way, this man that I know in the church, who's a billionaire, you know what his life is about? Giving money away. You know, my son-in-law's father is very well off. And you know he gives away more money every year and has for probably the last 10 or 15 years than he spends. I just want you to realize that we live in the wealthiest country in the world. And we also live in a country where more people realize the responsibilities they have to take care and to use what God has blessed them with. And, you know, a lot of times we don't say how grateful we are for that. And, and because we're always talking about whoever's got more money than I am is rich. And whoever's got less than I have, he must be poor. But we live in a wealthy co- country and we have people in this congregation who have done well. But let me tell you what they do. They figure out how they can use what they've got for the glory of God and to help other people. So in some ways, this passage really isn't talking so much about us. But it does tell us that in your life, the way that you want to live as a Christian is so that you have not mistreated people, that you have not hurt them badly, and if somebody works for you, that you have tried to take care of him and see that he does well, or, or they, whoever they are. And what a wonderful opportunity is for me in my life to have lived and to live right now in a country like that. You know, there are people who have money, Proverbs talks about it, don't know how to enjoy it. I mean, the story of Wendell G., of John G. Wendell and his sisters, even though they received a large inheritance from their parents, and they were some of the most miserly people all of their lives, they spent very little of it, and, 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 and all they did was keep their wealth for themselves. John was able to influence five of his six sisters never even to get married. And they lived in the same house in New York City for 50 years. Yet when the sisters died in 1931, her estate, his sister, his last sister, was valued at over $100 million. Yet the only dress that she had was one that she had made for herself and she had worn for the last 25 years. True story. Why? Because people have trouble with earthly possessions. And James talks about that. What what about Bertha Adams? She died in 1976 at the age of 71 on Easter Sunday in Palm Beach, Florida. And the coroner's report said this. She died of malnutrition. She weighed less than 50 pounds. She begged for food. Her home was a pig pen. Obviously, she had some mental problems. Everybody that knew her thought that she was penniless. Yet when she died, they found two keys in her house that opened two safety deposit boxes. One had over 700 shares of AT&T when AT&T stock was worth a lot. Okay. And another one, and had $200,000 cash in it. The second one only had cash, had $600,000 cash in it. So what does that tell you? That one of the problems that some people have is handling money. So what does James tell us? That one of the problems that people have is selfishness. And yet, those of you here that I know, I've never seen that to be your problem. And I want to commend you for that. And I want to remind you that all of us need to live with this responsibility. It's not what I can keep for myself. And it's not what I can have for myself. it's, It's what I can do for my family and what I can do for others who are in need. And I want to thank you 
for the way that you handle and deal with money. My, my, one of my favorite stories is a, is a Christmas carol, and one of my favorite cr- characters is Ebenezer Scrooge. Who would have known that my brother-in-law at the mill, that his nickname was Scrooge? And I never have figured that out because he's not like Ebenezer Scrooge. But that's Ronald's nickname. But you know, when you, when you want to picture who this is talking about, then you picture in your mind that character Scrooge. And, and when all of a sudden, Dickens tells us that when you can see your past, your present, and your future, and what you could have done, what you could do now, and what's going to happen in the future of other people's lives, when you don't use the things that God has blessed you with in a responsible and charitable way, it could change your life, and you will discover that you can change the lives of countless numbers of people around you. James talks about people who hoard treasures, they defraud people, and they indulge in their own sensual pleasures rather than looking to others. And so in that sense, I'm preaching to the choir because my brothers and sisters in Christ at Savannah Church of Christ, we believe in helping each other. We believe in helping those who are less fortunate. The, the second thing that he talks about is suffering. Notice verses 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient over it until it receives early and late rain. You also must be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Don't grumble, brethren, against one another, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He doesn't go on and tell you about the prophets because he thinks you're smart enough. You can read about them. Behold, we call those happy who were steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, is Mark Massey here tonight? Yeah. Mark, there's our class right there, isn't it? There's, there's our class. All of us are going to suffer. And the question is not, are you going to suffer? The question is, when are you going to suffer? And how much are you going to suffer? And why are you going to suffer? And then what are you going to do when you suffer? Now, what does he tell us? He tells us that, that we need to be steadfast. We need to be patient in suffering. Why? Because at the end of your suffering, if you're patient, you will discover in the end that God really is good. And that God really is merciful. But unless you're patient when you suffer and you give it all up, you'll never know that. You'll never know that. As I look out from this audience, we got all kinds of examples of people here who have suffered and they have been patient in their suffering and they have trusted God. And he says, how do you be patient? We've got to be patient like a farmer. I'm not a very patient person. You know that. Okay. And so that's one of the things I fight against my nature all the time. But if you're going to be a farmer, you've got to be patient. You know, my, my father was a patient man when it came. He loved to grow a garden, and he was so patient. I mean, when I planted a garden, I wanted those peas to be out of the ground in the next two days. I'd be checking every day, checking on the corn every day to see if it was coming up. Well, if you're, if you're going to be a farmer or if you're going to raise a garden, you've got to learn the patience that goes with that occupation. And if you do, you know you've got, to wait for the, you've got to wait for the early rain and you've got to wait for the late rain. You can have all the early rain. You know, farmers get a good crop up and the rain's good. Everybody's saying, whoo, are you going to have a year? Well, they know, especially if you farm Hardin County in July, the water gets turned off sometimes and everything that looks so good at the first of July, by the end of July, is dead as a hammer. Why? Because if you're going to farm, you've got to be patient. 
And what is that telling us? When you, you must endure, you must be patient. And if, if that, and if you are patient, you'll get through it. The prophets had to be patient. I mean, God spoke directly to them, told them a message they were supposed to give to the people. How many times when God sent them out, they, were, they weren't patient. I mean, he told Moses when he finally got him to go, Moses is all ready to go. God told him he's going to work miracles. He's all ready to go. Take care of the Egyptians. Walk up to Pharaoh himself. And so when he gets ready to go, what's the last thing the Lord tells him? Moses, I just want you to know, he's not going to let the people go. And how long did it take? What if Moses wasn't patient? You talk about a prophet. I mean, he just told them there's one plague after another coming. The next one's going to be worse than this one. And they actually repent. The people would. The leaders would. And had to finally deal with Pharaoh. What if Moses hadn't been patient? What about Jeremiah? I mean, it seems almost Jeremiah was more patient than God. God finally told him, Jeremiah, I have sent you out to tell these people that I will destroy Jerusalem. Well, what if they repent, Lord? They're not going to repent. God finally told Jeremiah, stop praying for these people, Jeremiah. I know their heart, they're not going to repent. Jeremiah was patient, patient, patient. Because God is patient. We must be patient like the prophets. You, you know, I, I was reading this in this little book the other day. and it, 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 It's six things that your, your teens must believe about themselves to be able to live the Christian life. Listen to this for a minute, young people. Number one, this is what he said. You must believe that you have been given power over the devil. You're never going to make it if you think that there is some spiritual being that's more powerful than God in your lives. In, in 1 John 4 and verse 4, John writes to Christians and he says, you need to know this, that the one who is in you is more powerful than the one who is in the world. And listen, if you don't believe that, you'll not make it. You'll give up. You won't believe that reinforcements are coming. You won't believe that God has a plan, that there's a battle going on, and you're not going to be left there to die in the field. Somebody's coming. Number two, you must believe that I've been given power over all the circumstances in my life. Uh, and, and in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, before Jesus sent his, his disciples out, he said, listen, if you will trust me and believe me, you will have more power than I have. You will be able to look at a mountain and say, be cast into the sea, and God will pull that mountain up and cast it in the sea because of your faith. But let me tell you something. If the apostles had not believed that God would give them power over the circumstances that they would face in their life, could they have been faithful to it? Can young people remain faithful if they don't believe that God is going to help them to overpower it? It's a wonderful thing when our young people come home and, and they can come and tell you they have been able to overcome the things that other people have said, can't do it, can't do it. Yeah, talk to the Duncans over here. Yeah, they're living the Christian life. God's helped them through difficult times in their life. Number three, that I have a strong body that's been healed by the stripes taken on Jesus' back. That I have strength because Christ suffered for me. Is that not exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and in verse 17? When, when, when he quotes from Isaiah that he took our diseases and he took our illnesses. 
You've got to believe that if you're going to make it. Number four, I have the ability to control my mind and to cast out evil thoughts. If you don't believe that God can help you control your mind, then, then already you've lost control of your life. But if you believe that God can help you so that you can have control over your mind and over your thoughts... And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, Paul, Paul says the, our weapons are not fleshly, but they are spiritual. And God has given us, Paul said, the, the ability to bring every thought and every idea captive to Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I, I've got a son that dealt with this problem in a way that unless you've got the same problem that he had, there would be no way that he could ever explain to you. And one of the things that he knew is that God would help him find a solution to this problem and help him overcome. And one of the greatest things that ever happened in my personal life was how God helped him to do that. And if you don't believe that God can help you, you'll never make it, young people. Do you believe this? This is another one. I am poised for success and I will not take defeat is final. You know, you, you listen to all the bad news, and there's a lot of bad news out there. But every generation, I, mean, I, I remember my brother sent me this thing from Paul Harvey. I thought about playing it sometime. It was in 1965. If he were the devil, what would he do? That was in 1965. And how many years is that from over 50 years ago? And it read like something he wrote today. Every generation thinks, oh, everything's coming to an end. It's not going to come to an end until the Lord comes. But we must have the security to know that we are poised for success and we will not accept defeat as final. We have victory, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, in Jesus Christ. And unless young people who are Christians believe that, the devil has them. And then finally, unless you believe that you can hate sin and yet love people, you're going to be in trouble. And that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, young people, ask your parents, ask your grandparents, ask these people here. They have learned in their lives how to hate sin and yet love people. And, and, and today, see, that's what they're trying to say about Christians, isn't it? Oh, we don't hate the sin of homosexuality. We hate homosexuals. That's not true. Oh, we, we, we don't hate the sin of adultery. We hate adulterers. That's not true. If Christians hate anything, they hate sin and nobody or nothing else. And if you can understand that, it can help you to be excess, successful in your life. And now, because you've heard enough preaching probably today, the final point, if I can find my notes here, well, you're going to get lucky. I, I may have lost the whole thing. No. And, and, um, and then finally, the idea about swearing. You know, it's interesting as I was a child growing up, I mean, I'd, I'd hear the, them start talking about swearing and I'd think, Ooh, you know, those, those words I learned out on the playground. That's not what they were talking about here. They're talking about the taking of, of oaths. Notice verse 12. But above all, my brethren, don't swear, neither by heaven nor by earth nor with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you might not fall under condemnation. You know, it, it just seems in our country that we have lost this moral sense of telling the truth. And it, it, it looks as, all, as though that, that, that everybody is a liar. Isn't that right? That nobody will tell the truth. 
If there's one thing that we should be known for as Christians, that we tell the truth. And our yes should be yes, and our no should be no. You know, it hadn't been all that long ago that we had people in this town that sold cars, that sold tractors, that sold houses, that sold anything that was sold in this town. And it was sold on a handshake. Isn't that right? And it was because you could trust people. You could trust them. And, 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 and I remember when they asked my Uncle Jude, they wanted him, they're opening a new bank in the in Bank of Amory in Smithville. And by the way, that building is gone right now. And Uncle Jude came to me, he said, Jim, they want me to work at that bank. He said, I don't know anything about banking. I said, you, you don't understand, Uncle Jude, why they want you there. There's nobody in Monroe County, Mississippi, who is trusted more than Julius V. Hendricks. And that's why they want you there. Because when people see you working for them, they know they can trust you and they can trust this bank. And I thought, that was smart thinking. Well, Uncle Jude never took the job because he wasn't going to take a job unless he thought he knew what he was doing. But, it, it, but it's time for us as Christians. And if it's going to change, it's going to have to be us. That we tell the truth and we don't lie. And, and when we tell the truth, we keep that truth to our own hurt. And that's what James is saying. You know, people would say, oh, so help me God, I'll do this. Or I'll swear on the, I swear on the grave of my mother or, or something like that. Listen, you don't have to do that. If somebody says, are you telling the truth? You tell them, I'm telling you the truth. And, I, and, and, and again, people in, that are here tonight, one of the greatest things about you is that you tell the truth. You tell the truth. And that's one of the greatest things about being Christians. And, and I, I think it's time for us to realize that the real values of Christianity are not the things that they're talking about on TV. They're the things that are the things that have blessed your life, that have made you successful in your business relationships. They have made you successful in your family relationships. And they have made you successful in your relationships with people in our community. And that's the greatest thing about Christians. And so James chapter 5 is, a, is an excellent book. We, we don't need to be selfish people, and you're not. And praise God for your giving. We, 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 need, to, we need to be people who, when we face suffering, that we are patient, and, and we're like we, we've seen uh, in the book of Job, that if you will wait on the Lord, he will work things together for your good. It may take a while, but you're going to have to be patient. We got, we got some older people here. You know, when I had the surgeries I had, two days later, I was ready to go. But I got news for you. When I turn 70 and 75 years old and I have surgery, I'm not going to be ready to go in two or three days. It's going to take a lot longer. So if you're going to live a long time, you're going to learn to be patient. And, and what a reminder to us that when we face tribulation, don't give up. Don't give up your marriage. Don't give up your children. Don't give up your relationship with God. Be patient and steadfast and, and allow God to work things through. And those of you who are older, remind young people about how patient you have been. And that's why you are where you are, because you were patient and you didn't give up. Well, listen, God bless you for being here tonight. The greatest thing about being a Christian is having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and having him to wash your sins away. And, ha and knowing that you are a child of God and knowing that things are going to be all right with you no matter what happens. And if you're not a Christian tonight or you need to come back to Jesus, 
for those of us who are your brothers and sisters in Christ, all we want is for you to come back home. If you need Christ tonight, won't you come while we stand and while we sing together? finish I just want to say one thing uh, I, you know we went on this mission trip to Michigan last year and I took two of our best and brightest senior high boys and let them drive me up there and I rode with them and um, you know I, know I knew their parents were doing good because I pulled in to feed them one time and I said okay boys what do you want I pulled in McDonald's both of them ordered off of the dollar menu and I thought these are good boys I was on that trip, too, and I got to hear what they said about the car ride. <laughs> they were like, Jim drives really fast. It was awesome. Uh, Jim talked tonight about the millionaire next door, and I was thinking about my neighbors that live close to me, Donald and Pat, Eddie and Raina. I expect something serious for Christmas, and I didn't know that was true. Um, if you were unable to take the Lord's Supper this morning, it's been prepared to my right, your left. We're going to sing 523. Um, and you, you can have a chance to partake. 523, after the song, we'll have our closing uh, prayer. I know the Lord will find a way for me. I know the Lord will find a way for me. If I walk in heaven, Light, shun the wrong and do the right. I know the Lord will find a way for me. Won't it be grand? 
it be grand to hear him say, well done. If I walk in heaven's light, shun the wrong and do the right. Won't it be grand to hear him say, well Bow with me, please. Again, Father, we come before your throne giving you thanks. We thank you, Father, especially for your son, Jesus, that died upon the cross. Father, we thank you for all your many blessings that you give us day by day. Father, as we leave this place, we ask you to be with us and continue with us this week. Be with those that are suffering and recovering, especially those that are working in your service. Forgive us, Father, as we go through the week with your continual blessings. Be with us and watch over us and protect us. And it is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.